arrive, raise hell, leave. You know, there are a lot of things in life that I'm never right about, but there, then there are some things that I'm always right about. And I have to tap myself on my shoulder and give myself credit for always making sure that this piece of shit is at the top of the list of human pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> Johnny Manziel makes the news again as we broadcast here on uh, episode 464 of Unscripted, Saturday afternoon. I don't know what the date is. It's late February. It's not snowing, so take it for whatever it's worth. Um, My biggest piece of shit in sports, Johnny Manziel, as I just mentioned, is in the news again. Two weeks after this rocket scientist tweeted that he had no interest in playing in the XFL because, and I quote, that's going to fold on you midway through the season, end quote. Well, I guess when you've burned bridges in the National Football League, the Canadian Football League had probably something to do with the the, the uh, end of the AAF. And uh, we never did get verification that if you do have a criminal record you aren't supposed to be able to play in the xfl but regardless we know johnny can't read because he went to texas a&m which is in the southeastern conference um that makes his him as dumb as a box of rocks right off the beginning i got it before i get into my main thing here and i'm gonna roll here because uh, i just hate this guy what must be the re- the academic requirements to get into texas a&m they must be able to just see they must be able to just test him on if he can color inside the lines or something because this guy just is dumb as a box of rocks again 2 weeks after tweeting that he had no interest in playing in the XFL because he thought that they were going to fold midway through the season Johnny Jackass on Friday sent a tweet to the XFL's commissioner Oliver Luck saying, and I quote, if you want to boost your ratings to another level, just send me the contract tomorrow and we're in there, end quote. Um, Surprisingly to nobody, Johnny Jackass's Twitter account has since been deactivated. Week one numbers, television numbers for the XFL drew an average of 3.3 million viewers again on week one, and those numbers dropped to 2.06 million in week two. Still better numbers than the XFL in week number one 20 years ago. But I, I just, I, I don't know. And first of all, I don't care where he's living. I just think wherever it is, it, it, it's got to be, I mean, someplace without electricity, someplace without something. So maybe like West Texas, I don't know. But I just can't figure how truly knuckle-dragging stupid this idiot is. He just continues to baffle me with, I can do this, I can't do that, I want to do this. Well, the problem is you're a moron. Everybody knows you're a moron. You've had chances in every one of those leagues that I just mentioned, and yet you can't... You've been barred from the CFL. We don't know why. But Supposedly, and again, when Vince McMahon had his introductory introductory news conference to announce to the world that he was going to launch XFL 2.0 in two years, he made it mandate man, he, he made it 
even Johnny Manziel clear that he had said that guys with prison, re- or excuse me, excuse me, not prison records, guys with criminal records. Thank you, sir. Criminal records were not going to be able and not going to be afforded the opportunity to play in the XFL. So I just, I, I'm amazed by this guy. I'm just, uh, of all the Rob Manfreds of the world right now, the Donald Sterlings of the world right now, all of these just idiots. And this guy tops the list. And I just can't figure out, can't somebody sit this guy down and just kind of slap him upside the head about two million times and try to figure out why do you keep making yourself portrayed as the moron that you are? I just can't figure this out. And if I'm Oliver Luck, I don't even touch this guy with a hundred foot pole. No, there's no reason to touch Johnny Manziel here at all because the XFL has had nothing but positive press and positive publicity and great reviews. And Johnny Manziel has shown he's got this scorched earth, burned bridges track record of just leaving chaos behind everywhere he goes. I remember Stone Cold Steve Austin about 20 years ago was away for a while. Then he came back and he walked out and he had a shirt and the shirt just said, arrive, raise hell leave and that's exactly what johnny manzel does in the worst way possible though not in a fun way but in a terrible way he just leaves anarchy and just broken people and broken promises and broken potential everywhere he goes and he's a complete disaster and there's absolutely no upside to this for johnny Manz for well there's absolutely no upside to this for oliver luck or vince mcmahon or the xfl And there is absolutely no reason to believe that Menzel would be successful because he's only been successful in college. There have been a lot of guys who have been successful in college. And then, but I mean, he sucked in the NFL. He sucked in the CFL, got banned from the CFL and just whatever. I mean, the guy is just a complete farce. But this is what happens when you tell a guy his whole life that he's special just because he can play quarterback. And, you know, his life is all set out. It's like, okay, well, you go to elementary school, then you go to junior high, then you go to high school, then you go to college. It's easy. After that, though, if you aren't the darling anymore, life all of a sudden isn't just pointed out for you. You don't get this golden treasure map to the rest of your life anymore. And some guys like him just completely sputter and fail. He, it, I, I said a long time ago, and maybe even on this show, that Johnny Manziel's biggest red flag to me was how he was when he was trying to be an adult and be in the NFL, allegedly, he still had a college girlfriend and a very college girlfriend, like like blonde and stupid and just <laughs> and just and bringing him down and then complaining if he did anything wrong and getting him into more trouble than he did on his own. And it was just a sign of a guy that hasn't grown up and he never will grow up. And it's too late for Johnny Menzel. Your yesterday's news. Have fun working in a warehouse. Yeah, well, <laughs> warehouse isn't going to take his sorry ass. Um, big news. Um from the boxing world, which is good to see, as we, uh, again, I get my heart back to a normal rate. I, I just, Johnny Manziel, I just, I used, you know, here's the funny thing. I used to kind of feel sorry for him. I don't anymore. No. I, but, you know, big world, big news. Uh, I think this one's at the MGM Grand Garden, if I'm not mistaken, yes. tonight. It's not at the T-Mobile. No. It's at the MGM Grand Garden in Las Vegas. I might be there as early as tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> I won't make it in time for the fight. Uh, but that's the big news on uh, Saturday. Deontay Wilder 
They had their weigh-in on Friday. The Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, the greatest name in professional sports, especially for a boxer. And this is their second, correct? Their mm-hmm. second fight. Uh, Wilder w- weighed in on Friday at 231 pounds, the heaviest of his career for his 11th title defense, while his opponent, the aforementioned Tyson Fury, comes in at 273 pounds and just three pounds short of his heaviest weight as well. So the burning question for me to you is you can give us a little a little preview of what's going to happen on Saturday night in Las Vegas. Um, but who do you think wins this second round, the second go-around, I should say, between Wilder and Fury set for Saturday night from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in the wonderful city of Las Vegas, Nevada? This is about as tough as it gets. I don't know if I can recall ever seeing a tougher fight or match or game to call in the history of sports honestly like it's they're so even and like when you have two guys that are you know the two best guys in the world both undefeated they have one draw against each other that's the only blemish on an otherwise spotless record for both of them and I just rewatched their first fight from December of 2018 a few minutes ago right before Mike came over and it you know Tyson Fury outboxed him however Deontay Wilder knocked him down twice. So he got a couple of 10-8 rounds. Now, since Fury pretty much won every other round on most people's scorecards, Fury still should have won, even though he was narrowly winning rounds where not a lot happened, and then he did get his ass kicked in two rounds. He still probably should have won. But uh, it, ended up, it ended up being a draw. Uh, one scorecard was fairly ridiculous, giving it to easily to Wilder. But you know what? I'm cheering for Wilder. I'll say that much. Oh, because okay. Because Tyson Fury is... Uh, he he's a jackass in there, and I just you know whether it's Anderson Silva or John Jones or any of these guys, I just don't like when somebody is a jackass in during the game, during the fight, during the match. I just hate that. And he just he's a jack like in the one he got knocked down, and then right after he's walking around with his hands behind his back. It's like, come on, Tyson Fury. No, it, having the hand behind the back means that you're just so much better than this guy. It's not even funny. When you've just got knocked down and barely got up at nine, that's not the time to do that because no one believes you're showboating. You just look like a dumb jackass. So I'll be cheering for Wilder for sure. Uh, the, the issue is that even though Wilder is four years older at 35 and Tyson Fury is only 31, the difference is that Fury, I believe, has been boxing for quite a bit longer because Deontay Wilder had never boxed in his life until he was 20 years old and walked into a gym in Alabama. Wow. And, and, he just learned, and he just said, I'm going to take up boxing. And I mean, most guys, like I believe Fury and most boxers have been boxing their whole lives. And so that's why maybe the technique isn't there as much for Wilder. He gets to rely on his power. But yeah, I'll be, I'll definitely be watching tonight when the Gypsy King Tyson Fury takes on the Bronze Bomber Deontay Wilder. I'll be cheering for Wilder for sure. But this fight is just too close to call. Well, you got nicknames for him and everything. Holy Toledo, look at you. Um, I'm going all over the map on this. Episode 464 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We are here. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope that things are going well wherever you are listening to this edition of our little program. Um, I never... Time flies. I guess I don't really realize sometimes how fast things move and how fast... And and, and it just goes at a moment's notice it just it life moves fast and if you're not paying attention 
it can be eight years. And where I'm getting that number from, do you know it's been eight years already since Jerry Sandusky was doing the voodoo or got caught doing the voodoo that he liked to do to little boys? And uh, if that son of a bitch ever sees the day of light of day again, and I, I know we won't because he tried to get another trial back in October of last year, and the judge that originally sentenced him to 30 to 60 years in the can uh, after being convicted of 45 counts of child sexual abuse in 2012. But the reason I go back to this is that on Friday, Penn State University and the family of the late head football coach Joe Paterno finally resolved some quote-unquote outstanding issues that had divided them eight years after he was fired following that Sandusky bullshit. Paterno was 85 years old when he died of cancer-related complications in January of 2012. Now, they did not, they did not release what the financial ramifications were of these outstanding issues. But uh, this will give you an idea of the stuff that Penn State University has had to deal with for the last eight years. Penn State University has settled with more than 35 people who said that they were abused by Sandusky as children, making payouts that totaled more than $109 million because of this. There's nothing other to say than this asshole. I mean, that's just what it is. And uh, he still believes, he still believes that he's innocent. Um, or he just doesn't care and he just wants to get out. Well, you know, again, he, he tried back in October, as you remember, he tried to get a, a, another trial or a retrial. Um, I don't know. Well, obviously he's that classically stupid, but um, I think in somewhere, in some deep, uh, part of Jerry Sandusky's body, he truly believes he did nothing wrong. And that's that's just horrific to me. But um, the reason I say this is this kind of puts a final spin on it. Um, Jay Paterno, the son of the coach, uh, was very happy that this has now come to conclusion, obviously. The one thing I have issue is, remember when they when this first happened, they stripped... Coach Paterno of 111 wins that took him off the top spot as the all-time winningest coach in major college football. Now, they reinstated those a couple of years ago, so he still is the all-time winningest coach in major college football. But, you know, I truly believe, and I'd be interested, and I I think I remember your comment on this, but I'll I'll ask you to to, uh, remind me of it. But I truly believe in this whole scenario that, and maybe this is being my my being naive because I had great respect for Coach Paterno and what he did at Penn State. And all those years before Penn State got into the Big Ten Conference in the mid to late 90s, Penn State was always an independent. And they beat everybody's ass. They were like Notre Dame back in the day where they had to play everybody to get the recognition because they weren't affiliated with a conference. And so Penn State, I mean, you look at the who's who's, that has played ball at Penn State in in regard to under Coach Paterno, Todd Blackledge, Matt Millen, even though Matt Millen we know was a terrible judge of of talent um, <laughs> from his years in Detroit, but the list goes on and on uh, of of unbelievable football players. Shane Conlon that played at at Penn State and then went on to make their mark in the National Football League. But the one thing I wish that they would now do. Now that they've settled 
Everybody's happy again. Sandusky is secure in his four by six box for the next 30 years, at least. He won't live that long, thank God. Um, I think that the Penn State administration should reattach, reassemble, reinstall, whatever it is, the statue of Coach Paterno in front of Beaver Stadium because if they're, if they're, uh, if they have taken care of these quote unquote outstanding issues, then in the eyes of the people that are running Penn State, they believe, like I do, that Coach Paterno really didn't know what was going on. And again, maybe he was naive, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think Coach Paterno really knew what was going on. I don't think, I think Paterno at this time, at 85 years old, was so beyond the thought of his longtime defensive coordinator like to, you know, do the little boys. I just want to believe, and and again, maybe naivety on my part, but I want to believe that Paterno really didn't know what was going on and be because of that and, and what he did. And Penn State to this day still is Penn State to this day because of Joe Paterno, especially the football program. I think they should be reinstalling the statue of Coach Paterno in front of Beaver Stadium. Well, they should, but I don't think right now is the right time. We're in such a sensitive time right now that, you know, facts don't matter and people are all hysterical over the littlest thing. And so if they perceive it as a big thing, then and they somehow think that he's guilty of something here, then it's just the wrong time. It would just get vandalized and all this. It just wouldn't be worth it right now. Someday, yeah. And I'm glad they reinstated the wins because I, and this is why it, it's been tough for me to come around on the, uh, you know, stripping the Astros of the World Series, even though that's clearly the right thing to do. It's that other times you you can strip people of anything for anything, even if they weren't really guilty. And so it just has gotten so out of control, I resist it a bit. But if you watch Joe Paterno talk for five seconds, yeah. you're just going to be convinced like, okay, this is a, you know, a guy from a really long ago era. You know, like, I, I don't know what people think that football coaches from decades ago, you know, where were where they were uh, in terms of like their thoughts on gay rights and, you know, anything else like that. But I mean, Joe Paterno was not only really old recently when he died, but he also, even when he was alive, he would have been, I think, a dinosaur for when he was alive even. Like yeah. he wouldn't have, he wasn't exactly sitting there keeping up with social issues. It didn't look like he had the glasses like he was from the 50s. He didn't change anything. His whole life was football start to finish. And you can just see, he just looked like in terms of anything besides football, he just looked like a confused old man who didn't understand anything of what was going on outside of the football field. And I'm just convinced of that. If you anyone watches him for a few seconds, I think it's pretty obvious as much as it can be if you don't know the man personally but I don't think he understood at all was going on certainly not the scope but even just anything about it I think he was told you know oh uh you know uh, Sandusky was you know slapping a guy's ass in the showers and the guy was like oh okay whatever like what and you know I don't I don't think that it just would have registered to him on any scale and frankly because of the timing and the quick onset of his cancer, I have to believe that the stress or the bewilderment of what was going on probably contributed to his death as well, which is really unfortunate. I just don't think that Joe Paterno had a clue what was going on. I really don't think he was sitting there comprehending the situation and just like, I'm just going to hold back that my assistant is, you know, molesting young boys. Like, I, that's not, 
I just can't picture that that was what was happening. He was just an old man who was trying to coach some football and, and you know, extend his huge legacy. And then he got sideswiped by this and didn't understand it at all. And that's it. And, you know, just another reason to hate Sandusky. You know, what I did think was funny this week, I don't know if you saw this, but there was this this guy serving life in prison in the States who hates child molesters. He was in there for murder or something. and uh, But he's in there for life. And so he saw this one child molester start watching PBS kids on TV in front of everyone. <laughs> and he lost his mind and he killed the guy. Oh my God. Yeah. But so, so this pedophile was in there for life as well. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so then, so then he, he's like, I can't handle this guy watching PBS kids in front of everyone, like throwing in our face. Like, yeah. so he killed him and like no guard even noticed or anything. Like I, I always wonder how these prisons are run. Like people need to do whatever. So then the guy kills this pedophile. Then he goes he decides, okay, I'm going to go tell a guard what happened. He literally tries to go and find a guard to tell, like, hey, I killed this guy. On the way there, sees another pedophile, loses his mind again, and kills that guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> All three of them were in there for life anyway, but and we're never getting out. But, uh, yeah. Uh, literally, now they're never getting yeah, out. <laughs> yeah. And so so he just he killed two pedophiles. He's like, I can't handle this right now. So there you go. Well, you know. Um, so Sandusky's in the wrong prison, basically. Exactly. Um it was funny. I, I remember this. This was a black mark on the state of Wisconsin for years. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, yeah. And Wisconsin does not have the death penalty. And if there was a guy that needed to be in a state, that needed to be in Texas is what it is. And I, all right, I'm going off topic here, but I, I do have to say this about before I go on. I'm going totally off topic. I'm going, I'm just going wild, wild west here. Um, the prison inmates at the Portage Correctional Institute in Wisconsin, where he was housed after he was found guilty, obviously, of all these horrific murders. I'm talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. This Portage Correctional Institute is about 125 miles north of Milwaukee. And I remember as soon as he got in, he didn't last very long in there because the prisoners took it upon themselves and they bashed his head in. Yeah, that tall black guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Was it I don't remember something? his name. Yeah, I remember but, yeah, his name. but yeah. they bashed it. That, I mean, they took justice into their own oh, hands, yeah. and that was the right thing to do. I'm sorry. And that's, you know, I, I, I was listening to this coming over to Chris's house this morning, and that's why I'm going wild, wild west here. Um, I truly believe, and I'm not, in the, you know, I'm not in the best frame of mind right now, so I'm just going to say that I'll preface that by saying, by saying that, is that I, you know, one of the travesties, and you see this in, in, in uh, cold weather climate cities more than you do in warmer climate cities. There are bums all over Las Vegas. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I know where they hang out. There are bums in Phoenix. There are bums in LA. And I don't want to say bum. Homeless people. And some people, it's beyond their control because of the economy and whatever have you. They are not as fortunate. So I don't want to say they're bums. I'm going to put them as homeless people. Um, there are homeless people in all all of those cities that I just mentioned, but it becomes a little bit more um, up. People see it more up front when there, there are homeless people like in Calgary, when it's minus 35, trying to find a place to stay for the night. That's got to be difficult. But here's my, here's what I'm getting at. Going back to prisons. This is a travesty to me. And I was just thinking about it. And I was listening to Chris Rock on the way over here. Chris Rock is a smart man. I don't give a crap what anybody says. He has got, you've got to pay attention to understand Chris Rock's humor. But if you have a brain in your head, you can understand 
what Chris Rock is always a message behind Chris Rock. He was going on about prisoners and, and it was funny because prisoners are housed, they're clothed, clothed, and they get three squares a day. That's to me is unfair when you've got homeless people on the street that didn't do anything and the homeless people, what, what do they have? They've got nothing. Um, you know, I truly believe that we've got to, I don't think we should be housing people that maybe this is their first offense and they got caught peddling marijuana or something. Give them probation. You talk about overcrowded prisons. We've got way too many guys and females that are in these prisons that if it's their first offense and it isn't capital punishment kind of offense, why are they there? And then you've got guys that are going to be there forever and ever, amen, and rightfully so, but why don't we eliminate them? Yep. Why don't we eliminate them? Why are the taxpayers of 50 states and, what is it, 11 provinces in, in Canada? Ten. 10. provinces in Canada. Why are we footing the bill to have these multi-murderers and rapists and just general scum of society, why are we footing the bill for them to have a place to eat, sleep, shit, whatever else. And we've got people that we should be more concerned about that are sitting outside at minus 35 and they can't find a bed to sleep in. Something wrong there. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean... but the, the... I, I, I know I'm starting to sound like the Reverend Jerry Falwell and I don't mean to be because he'd be on my bucket list of assholes too. But I just... I really... That really resonated with me when I heard Chris Rock talking about it today. Well, it's because that the really really left-wing people who came up with the idea of no death penalty are generally so full of self-loathing that they aren't able to be able to say that someone deserves to die if they're bad enough. They just... They, they just don't... They don't love themselves enough to think that they're... That they could actually, you know, make that call, I think, is what it is. And it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, if you can negotiate what deserves the death penalty, but to say that nothing does just means you have either a failure of imagination or you're just completely sheltered and have never seen the real world. It's one of the two. And that's it. Because if you think that, you know, nobody deserves the death penalty for anything, no matter what they do... Uh, I don't know what to tell you. That's, I just can't respect any other opinion you have if that's your case. If you can't even come up with one thing that deserves the death penalty, you know, someone randomly cures, kills your whole family, that doesn't deserve the death penalty? Well, you know what? That means you're an asshole. So fuck you. <laughs> well, I, I'm just, um, you know, I, I appreciate you playing along. And obviously, but this kind of bothers me because, I, I mean... There are a lot of people in North America that have some very, they aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer and they think it's barbaric. You know, my wife is, is of Middle Eastern descent. She is a Muslim and a lot of people in those Muslim countries believe eye for an eye in regard to justice. Plus instigator, please. Right. Exactly right. I want it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. But in regard to you kill somebody, you should lose something like your life. And I, I, I don't think that's as barbaric as, as, as it, it is made out to be. Um, there, as Chris just so rightly said, there's a lot of bleeding heart morons out there. Well, let's rehabilitate them. Um, no. You know, one of, the, one of the things that happens most in prison for prisoners is that they become better crooks. And they're learning from the, they're learning from the top of their trades when they're in there, you know, idling away 
for 23 out of 24 hours. They get one one hour a day of of uh, in the yard. But what are they really learning in there? They're learning how to be better crooks. I'm sorry. If someone says I'm wrong, leave leave a comment on one of our nine different social media avenues to do so. I'll talk about it. Chris will let me talk about it. For crying out loud. Jesus Christ, you kill somebody or you rape a woman? You should lose a body part at the very least. That's all I'm going to say. I'm rolling. Um... God, I got so many things to talk about, but I, I think we should move these to later episodes because I think that you and I are going to get into big, big discussion about it. So what I'm going to end up this first episode with, episode 464, is I know you probably didn't watch the All-Star game last week in the NBA, but I did. Well, excuse me, the last quarter I did. This is why Adam Silver is the best commissioner in professional sports. The idea that to make the NBA All-Star Game competitive for all 48 minutes, I think Mr. Silver has done it successfully. Now, I'm getting a little tired of all the tributes to Kobe Bryant. I get that. And it's really difficult to differentiate when the blue team all has number two on and the red team all has number 24 on. I get that. But for the first time in my life, I saw the fourth quarter of an NBA All-Star game, competitive. It didn't just become the lob it up and throw it down and run up and down the court with all these fancy moves. That's what Skills Saturday's competition is for. But what I saw in that fourth quarter of the NBA's All-Star game last week, to me, was outstanding. That was basketball at its highest level. It had the best how many players in the world. And the funny thing was, The starters played the whole fourth quarter just like they would if they were playing an NBA regular season game and obviously a playoff game. But that fourth quarter meant something to those 10 guys on the floor and they busted their ass for that last 12 minutes to get to that that end of that new format. The winner, the first winner who got to 157 points was the winner of the game. But they played defense. They took charges. Did you see that if you watch the game in the fourth quarter, did you see the charge that Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors took? Or did you see the block that Giannis Antetokounmpo blocked uh, LeBron James up uh, against the backboard with less than 10 whatever seconds left in the fourth quarter? I mean, this was the first time in my recollection of my life, 55 plus years, that an all-star game had some meaning And obviously there was some meaning because of Kobe and yada, yada, yada. But there were the 10 best players in the world on the floor for the last 12 minutes. And I'm telling you, in my opinion, it was the greatest 12 minutes of basketball that I've ever seen in all-star competition. Well, I'm really glad to hear that Adam Silver is having a positive effect because people, I think, are going to start to realize here that when you have weak leaders, it really hurts things. And having a great leader can really make a big difference. And it's really essential And it's really being missed right now, whether it's the Canadian government or whether it's, you know, the NFL, whether it's Major League Baseball, there's such a void of any sort of leadership, never mind strong or competent or imaginative or creative uh, or mind blowing or inspirational leadership or any of that. No, we're not getting any leadership at all. I mean, they're just completely vacant positions, essentially, right now. But they're, you know, it doesn't even matter if you think you agree with what Roger Goodell allegedly stands for, or if you think you agree what 
Justin Trudeau or the Liberal Party allegedly stands for, it's irrelevant because they're not doing anything. You know, I can agree with somebody all day long, but if they literally never do anything, it makes no difference if they're in a position where they're supposed to be doing something. So that, it's really disappointing how bad things are. It's actually making Gary Bettman look quite good, and it's especially making Adam Silver look really good, as we discussed about uh, both of those guys last week. So, hey, good for Adam Silver. Nice to see something, because I I, I can't, even knowing that, it's, it's hard for me to even believe it, and for me to even want to check out the All-Star game, just because it's been so pointless for so long. I mean, I might as well go down to the park and just watch a couple guys like shoot the ball around, or, or if there's some athletic guys or taller guys who can dunk, like I might as well literally just go to the park and watch them. Honestly, it's, it's no different. So yeah, it's, that's really great to hear. I am disappointed. I didn't watch the whole thing. But I did see all the talk about, you know, Aaron Gordon bidding screwed, oh, in, the, screwed. in the dunk oh, contest. Oh, Aaron and Gordon all. got screwed. So I feel bad. That that one dunk, I'm, and not even the tackle fall one, which is great and everything, jumping over a seven foot five guy. But that other one off the off the side of the backboard, and then the way he one armed it, and it was like poetry. It was just so smooth and beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful dunks I've ever seen. And uh, I, in fairness, I haven't watched the other guys or anything yet, but uh, I, I do need to watch the whole dunk competition. But from what I saw, Aaron Gordon, and that's the second time. He's that, gotten, he should have two trophies. Yeah, and so he said he's not never doing it again, and I don't blame him. Next year, it was it was funny after uh, he had made mention that next year he's going to be in the skills competition mm. in regard to the, the dribble, dribble, pass, shoot, that one. There's um, no subjectivity in that. It's just no. you're either the best or you're not. You make you make the shot or you don't. That's what it is. Um yeah, and I before I get out of here on this 464th episode, I just wanted to thank, I, I won't mention their names, but I do want to thank a couple of people that I don't really physically know. But they left very nice messages on my LinkedIn account about my diatribe last week in regard to uh, my favorite idiot who's now incarcerated for raping 80-year-old women Um Oh, the tight end, Kellen Winslow, Kellen Winslow about my analogy that, that sports is not war. Um, uh, I thank you very much for that. That, uh, that, uh, that I don't really even know these people, but obviously they, they're familiar with Unscripted and they listened to an episode and a couple of people left some really nice comments on my LinkedIn. And I don't even know these people. I don't know where they're from, um, but I mean, if I went to their you know, LinkedIn, I could find out. But I just wanted to say thank you to a couple of people that left some comments about my diatribe on, uh, on Kellen Winslow Jr. and him going to war and him be a, him being a soldier. Go screw yourself. Um, thank you very much. It was uh, very nice of you to take the time to do that. Uh, we've got a run on this 464th episode of Unscripted. Um, I didn't realize, again, as I said earlier at the beginning of this, how, how time flies. We've flown through this episode because Mike's been on a rampage, and I appreciate Chris uh, sitting along and letting me do it. But um, we've got a run on this 464th episode of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.